Thanks, Stephen. All right, good morning. If you take your Bible, please, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. I trust that this morning you aren't feeling uh, like the main character in this um, chapter that we're going to look at this morning, or the main characters. title of this message is Just a Bag of Bones. I hope that's not how you're feeling this morning. Uh, Ezekiel is in Babylon, but he receives a vision about his nation's state and their condition. We're going to look at that this morning and apply that to our lives as believers. Ezekiel chapter 37, we'll just read the first six verses, but the passage uh, that we're looking at this morning goes through to verse 14. We'll read the first six verses uh, this morning. Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out, excuse me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in an open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. This is a valley full of bones and it probably doesn't need to be pointed out, human bones. And Ezekiel is told to prophesy to this desolate scene. Now, just just think about that scene for a moment. Whenever you walk through valleys that are full of bones, you know, you just sort of look at them and keep... We never see valleys full of bones. <laughs> this is an odd situation. And there are many bones. Something tragic has taken place. Something destructive has taken place. Something overpowering has taken place. The assumption is it's the remnants of an army, but God doesn't tell us, but nor does he need to because it's a picture of Israel as a nation. But normally there aren't valleys full of 
skeletons in pieces. That's not the normal situation. And that would have been a tough crowd to preach to, a tough crowd to prophesy to. Bunch of bones. Well, Lord, you know, he says, anything's possible, Lord. Well, in the ensuing verses, he does prophesy to them and those bones become, they are drawn together and they become, they become skeletons. And those skeletons then, the sinews as it's stated, grow back together. The flesh comes onto those and even skin comes back onto those former skeletons and their bodies again. And as it says there in verse 6, even breath comes into these, I guess we can say individuals uh, rather than skeletons. Flesh, tendons, skin reforms on these mere chassis, if you like. A remarkable scene. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look at this passage. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in church together this morning. I pray, Father, that you take your word and and use it in our hearts this morning. Challenge us, Father, I pray. Do a work in us to help us understand not just the passage, but the applications that we can take from it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I said, this valley of bones indicates uh, a defeat of some magnitude, devastation, indicates complete overpowering. But it's indicative of Israel and we know that if you look ahead into verse 11. Having done all of this uh, prophesying and, and seeing it all come together, Verse 11 says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The southern kingdom of of, uh, Israel or or Judah, they have Babylon at the door at this point, at the door of Jerusalem. Some of them, like uh, Ezekiel, are already in captivity in Babylon. Uh, The northern kingdom had already been taken captive by the Assyrians and this uh, is not just an illustration of of their um, political or or military situation. This is a spiritual, a picture of them spiritually and it's important that we keep that in, in view. But they say there in verse 11, Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Now this isn't just how they feel. It's not just a feeling. This is how they are spiritually. They are defeated morally as well as a nation. 
but the image of the bones filling the valley pictures utter destruction and devastation spiritually. And before we look at its application to us, our, its relevance to us, let's just look ahead uh, into what God says in the remainder of the, of the passage towards concerning Israel. Verse 12 to 14. God says, having told us that it's Israel, therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Verse 14, And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. A spiritually dead people, but God has not finished with Israel. That's what we see there in verse 12 to 14. Though up until this point, it's talking about destruction. Verse 11 uh, tells us their feelings. Our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we, we cut off. They're devastated. And yet, God says, I'm not finished with Israel. I still have plans for Israel. Hope is not lost. He's going to do more with them. He's going to put His Spirit in them, it tells us there in verse 14. He's going to allow them to live. He will place them in their own land. Well, He's done that in 1948. But as of this point, both in the prophecy and in our day. They are a standing army. They're upright. There's breath in them, but God's Spirit is not in them yet, both in the passage and in real life. God hasn't finished with the nation of Israel that exists in our day. There's breath in them. There's life in them. And yet God's Spirit God says here He's going to put His Spirit in them. And He hasn't done that up until now in history. And so this is still a a future prophecy. Though they are in their land and like they are in this passage, they're standing there. doesn't tell us whether they're fully clothed, but they're fleshed out and they're covered with skin. They even have breath in this passage but yet not the Spirit of God. We need to remember that God has not finished with Israel. God continues to bless nations and individuals who bless Israel. Just like God promised in the Old Testament uh, to Abraham that He will bless those that bless and curse those that curse. God's promise there continues. And we see that historically and even in our day. Nations that are favourable to Israel have God's blessing on them. And those that don't 
do not. And it, we need to remember that as believers, that just as we want God to do a work in our heart, God will do a work in Israel as well one day. That's not for us to do as believers. That's God's task. He will do that prophetically when the time is right. But God will honour those and bless those that honour his people though they remain unregenerate and without the Spirit of God even in our day. Now before we make some applications in this passage to ourselves, it's also important to remember we're dealing with prophecy about Israel. And in prophecy, the church and Israel are two different entities. We cannot take the prophecies that are to Israel and say, oh, they apply to the church now. God's done away with Israel. Especially in passages like this, where God says, I'm not finished with Israel. And there are people, uh, churches around, that, that do say that the church replaces Israel. And they get into all sorts of trouble, I suppose you'd call it, problems, prophetically, doctrinally, because they're trying to take prophecies that don't apply to the Christian. They apply to the Jews in the future and it makes them apply to us. That doesn't mean we can't take what God says to them and apply them to us, but the prophecies themselves are not to the Christian and not to the church. The church does not replace Israel and we'll get awfully mixed up if we try and take those prophecies and and do that. Israel are God's people, unregenerate, spiritless, but they are God's people. And in the same way, if you have placed your faith in Christ for salvation, you're God's child as well. And so by application we can take those principles and apply them to our lives. But the prophecies themselves remain for them in the future. The main applications I want to draw are from verse 11 where Israel says, Our bones are dried, our hope is lost and we are cut off for our part. Firstly then, our bones are dried. It's in reference to there being no life. We are told in God's word as Christians that we are to, to love God's word, that we are to respond to God's word. Come with me for a moment to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Our bones are dried. <clears throat> First Peter chapter two. <clears throat> and verse two says First Peter two two. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 
It tells us there that, that just like a newborn babe desires mother's milk, that you and I, as Christians, are supposed to desire God's Word. We're supposed to have a desire for it. We're perhaps supposed to have a yearning for it. We're supposed to want God's Word, just like a baby wants mother's milk. But is it any wonder that so often we have times in our lives or vast periods of our life where as a Christian we are dry? Because we do not desire the Word of God like a baby desires milk. Some days, every waking moment, the baby seems to only want milk. Is that right, Brother Kevin? (laughs) And, and, And they can't get settled. And yet, you and I can go days, weeks, vast periods without thinking about God's Word if we're not careful. If we don't make a concerted effort to get God's Word into our life, into our day, into our minds. And even though we might be sitting in church, our mind might be a million other places. Just because we're in church doesn't mean we're therefore desiring the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. We might just be there and our mind might be doing the shopping this afternoon, visiting great auntie Gwen this afternoon, could be doing anything this afternoon or yesterday, recounting what happened on Friday and wishing we hadn't said that to them and... Only I just kept my mouth quiet, or closed, I should say. And here we are in church. Oh, yeah, I love God's Word. But we're not desiring, we're not yearning. Dare I say, we're not lusting for the Word of God as we ought. Oh, our intention is to sit under the Word, but we've lost our hunger for it. Many of us will be here twice today and that's a good thing. We'll be back this evening. But that doesn't mean we're desiring God's word more. It just means we're here twice. Where's our mind? Where's our attention? As God's word is opened, where is our focus? You see... Through, it would be true to say that many of us, church was very normal thing up until March this year. And then it became something we couldn't go to. And we discovered that life still goes on without going to church because we can't go to church. And we were content to watch in our rug boots with our cup of tea on the sofa 
And, and we should have been content. We, we couldn't do it any other way. We couldn't physically meet. But now that we can physically meet, we shouldn't just be content to be here. We need to be only content with attention to God's Word, to singing the praises from our heart at the moment and to responding to what God wants to do in our heart that we may grow thereby. And if we're not, our bones are dry. Dry. Spiritually dead. Though in church. We got content being not able to meet the preacher's eye because the resolution and the the distance to the camera was just enough that the preacher couldn't catch our eye. (laughs) We got normal. That, That became normal to us. And those of you sitting next door, it's still normal for you this morning. That's okay. They'll get that in two seconds. Go with me to 2 Timothy before we go back to our, our passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's alright, you next door. It's not because you're slow. These guys will, next week, they'll be two seconds behind as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, this is how we ought to respond to God's word. And if we don't, our bones are dry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. See, we are to preach. We're to reprove. We're to rebuke. We are to love long-suffering. And if we get content with switching off, with daydreaming, with not staying focused, we can't grow. We can't grow as the Christians God would have us to be. just a page over or perhaps uh, not even, as in my case, in Titus chapter 1. It tells us um, in verse 9, we're to be holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. There's that principle again of through the preaching of God's word faithfully to exhort and to convince. We need that. Even those of you that are always here, you need to be convinced of God's word. You need to be exhorted concerning God's word all the time. Why? 
because as in our other passage said, that we may grow thereby. Yet we avoid the preaching. We switch off and as a result, death. No life. Dryness of bones. Are we, are we glad to slink into the back row and, and listen? That will only produce dryness. The second thing that it tells us in our passage that Israel was moaning about, not just their bones were dry, but our hope is lost. Our hope is lost. No future. Look in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Another account where Israel uh, is, is, is moaning about, about hope being lost and, and the future being uh, terrible. Isaiah 49 and verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Why was Israel saying that? Because there were more bad days at the time than there were good days. And some of us get to be that way as well. Not necessarily the moaning part, but we sometimes have more bad days than good days. Not when we've been on our honeymoon, but um, other times. And when there are more bad days, more difficult days, more busy days, we can lose sight of where we're at and where we're going or where we should be going. And hope is lost. They couldn't see the future. And when we have trouble and upheaval and it continues without end in sight, one option is to look to self. One option is to look for others. To help. Another option is to look for just chance. Oh, it's just by chance that these bad days have come and my luck will turn around. People deal with difficult days and bad days in all sorts of ways, but my friend, that is not a spiritual way to deal with it. God is still in control, even when you miss the bus, even when the day is going. Bad. You get to the, the coffee machine at work and it's out. Even on those terrible, desperately despairing days like that. Isn't those, aren't those the hardest days where lots of little things, often that's how I find, lots of little things are going strangely out of whack. Aren't they the hardest days usually? It's easier to... When something big happens, you go, well, God, you're in control. But the little things we can manipulate and, I 
there's, there's another coffee machine, I think, two levels up in, in one of the other departments. I'm sure they wouldn't notice me there. You know, we manipulate other situations to try and get around our bad day. But Israel's complaining about God because they think he's forsaken them, because things are not going so well. But that's not the God I read of in the Bible. God is not an angry, vindictive individual. Some of us have known individuals like that. But that person does not represent God. In the New Testament, God asks us, for what child is he whom the Father chasteneth not? What child is he that the Father chasteneth not? Of course there's going to be bad days. Of course there's going to be tough days. And that's God's love towards us to teach us how selfish we are, that we need to have the coffee that we need the bus to be on time. Or whatever the petty situation is. God's loving hand is chastening. And Israel asks, are we forgotten by God? And yet in our passage, we forget what God is saying He's going to do about his people. Back in Ezekiel 37, verse 14, God says, I shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land and, ye sh- and then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. And he's saying that to a bunch of bodies that are strewn throughout the land just as a bunch of bones. That's his love towards them. That spiritually, they were just skeletons that were in pieces. Strewn throughout the valley. And yet his love for them was such that yes, there's desolation, but I love you so much that I'm going to put breath in you. I'm going to put you in your land and I'm going to put my spirit in you. And if God can say that to a people that are spiritually desolate, that have not the spirit of God in them, how does he feel about you, Christian, who have the spirit of God, who are his child, who are at least trying to move forward and hopefully are doing even better than trying to move forward. How does he feel about you? If God will do that for them, he has a future for you as well. Israel cried out, our bones are dry, I have no life, hope is lost have no future. But Christian, you have a future. God has a future for you. 
God's put his spirit in you. There's life, there's hope. Go with me for a moment to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look firstly at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of His. If you have the Spirit of God, let Him control you. Let the Spirit of God guide you. Change you. Work in you. Through the preaching of God's Word, the Spirit can say, my child, that's a point that you need to consider. But as it says here, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How do you get the Spirit of Christ in the first place? How does the Spirit come within? Well, the Bible tells us that the moment that an individual places their faith in Christ for salvation, the Spirit of God comes and dwells within. But as our verse says, you're not of the flesh but of the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells within you. At that point you have still your old nature, your flesh, your, your self-want and the Spirit of God dwelling within. You can go with your old nature or you can continue to follow the new nature. But this is something that can only happen if you're a Christian. So you need to have placed your faith in Christ for salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross not for some heroic action, but to pay for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the whole world. That action, taking sin on himself, was so that we might have hope. As we're talking here, Israel was saying they had no hope. Why? Because they had rejected their Messiah. Now God's going to turn it around and call them back to himself in the future, as we already mentioned. But in this period of time, while Israel is set to the side, Salvation is available to all mankind, Jew and Gentile. But individuals need to place their faith in Christ. You, my friend, if you haven't ever done that, need to consider your sinfulness before a holy God and consider the payment that Christ has made on your behalf on the cross. Take that payment for yourself. 
Because if you don't, you have no hope. God provides hope. But there's, there's hope for the Christian only because they are in Christ. Their future is, is sealed. When I die, I know where I'll go. Heaven. Not because I am righteous. Sure, I'm up here this morning, but that doesn't make someone a good person or not. It's not because of my actions that I know where I'll go when I die. Ask my family. It's because at a point in time I placed my faith in Christ for the salvation he'd already provided for me. And at that moment the Spirit of God came in and I was a child of God. I became a child of God. And the Spirit of God dwells within me now. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's why. If you haven't got the Spirit of God dwelling within, that's because you haven't accepted Christ as Saviour yet. But, child of God, if you are a Christian already, you have the Spirit of God within you, but do you let him control you, guide you, lead you? speak to you, prompt you, rebuke you. Look, look further down in the passage, Romans nine, uh, sorry, 8 verse 9, compare that with verses 15 to 17. <clears throat> For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Do you see the connection there in comparing uh, verse 9 through to the later in the passage? The connection between hope and acceptance and the Spirit of God and, and, and God's family. See, I have a future because I'm a child of God. I have the Spirit of God dwelling within me. And because I have the Spirit of God dwelling within me, I can miss every bus. I can get every red light. But I know that God is in control and the Spirit of God will say, it's alright. It doesn't matter. There'll be another bus in a week and a half. Okay, soon uh, Michael will be working for State, uh, state Rail for the, the, the trains and, and the trains are all going to be working well soon after Wednesday. The, the trains will be working fine. So there's hope in, in two fronts now. 
But do we see the connection here between the Spirit of God dwelling within and hope? Because God's in control. And the Spirit of God can remind us as His children. Finally, there was one more complaint. Our bones are dried, our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. Israel were operating on their feelings, not on reality. God was looking after them. He was chastening them out of his love for them. Physically, they are cut off. The Assyrians had already taken the northern tribes away. The southern tribes have the Babylonians knocking on their door and some of them are already in captivity. So physically, yeah, they are cut off. And yet God is still in charge. And just like feelings will lead a young person to start the wrong kind of relationship, our feelings lie to us, their feelings were lying to them. God was still in control. We have the benefit of verse 14 in our passage telling us that, no, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to put you in your land. I'm going to... I've, I've got this. I'm in control. They didn't have that verse literally there for them as a comfort, like you and I can go to God's word for comfort. But God was in control. And so too, feelings are no companion, uh, no comparison to following God. Our bones are dried. Why? Because we're not loving God's word as we ought. We have no hope of the future. Hope is lost. Why? Because we're not following the Holy Spirit's promptings in our life. And we feel cut off. But we don't need to feel that way. That feeling is not true. And just as God promises life and land and spirit to Israel, God has a place for you too, Christian. God has a future for you. You say, I don't have many years left. God still has a future for you. Even if I was to die next week, God still has a future for me. In heaven, for all of eternity, with Him. So we are so caught up with the here and now that we think that where's our future? Well, God's in control of that. And if we set our feelings aside and follow God rather than our feelings, believe that God is in control. God is in charge. If you're here without Christ this morning, you're not a believer yet, may I counsel you that God has provided salvation for you. 
But until you have availed of that, until you have accepted that for yourself personally, I would agree with you. Your future is, I don't know. But once you've accepted Christ, God has a plan for you. He's provided salvation for you whether you accept it or not. Isn't that a future already? It's yours to take or leave, but he's, he's left the door open there for you. We need to break out, though, Christian, of this willingness to sit back, to withdraw, withdraw to not change, because it produces dryness. It produces hopelessness. It produces feelings that are not true. Feelings of being cut off when God's so in control of the situation. When God's word is open, respond to it. When God's Spirit is speaking, respond to Him. When your feelings are quavering, ignore them. Israel had these three grumbles and they apply to us as well as believers.